0: Welcome to The Humanist Report, I'm Mike Figueredo. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Bernie Sanders more, of course, because we are, we're pretty much the unofficial Bernie Sanders uh, cheerleader channel. So uh, we'll be discussing Bernie Sanders in depth, um, his history as a civil rights activist, as well as a new um, particular leader who actually boosted his campaign. We'll discuss that more in detail, Um, as well as the fact that uh, the media is still not really taking Bernie Sanders seriously. Also, we're going to be discussing the absolute explosion of uh, conservatives and religious conservatives and um, Christians and Republicans and their reaction to the um, same-sex marriage ruling from the Supreme Court. And as you expect, it's apocalyptic. (laughs) Um, We'll also be um, discussing some more actions from Obama, um, as well as Bristol Palin. She's back in the news again. Uh, So stay tuned. It's going to be a fantastic show. The Oklahoma Supreme Court ruled that a courthouse in Oklahoma must take down a monument to the Ten Commandments. Now, as you might have predicted, Fox News and constitutional conservatives everywhere were completely reasonable about this because they say they need to respect the Constitution. <laughs> I'm completely kidding. They think the world's ending. Watch this.
1: It must be removed, that is the order on the Ten Commandments memorial outside the Oklahoma Capitol grounds. The Oklahoma Supreme Court yesterday ruled the monument violates the state's constitutional ban on using public property to benefit a religion. But is this just another instance of judicial activism? Joining us right now is State Representative Mike who, along with his family, donated the private funds to erect that monument. He joins us today from Tulsa. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. There's a little delay uh, between here and there. Let me ask you this. Uh, Your reaction to the fact that the Supreme Court of Oklahoma said, no, you're going to have to take it down. They didn't cite the U.S. Constitution. They cited your own Oklahoma state constitution, right?
2: Well, that was uh, the problem that we had. We were very concerned about that because their so-called opinion really didn't cite any of the previous precedent laws that we've had in Oklahoma and they've never ruled against a uh, display like the Ten Commandments, a passive display like the Ten Commandments before. Uh, They only had three pages in the ruling and I've told by the legal scholars and the Attorney General here in Oklahoma that it was uh, probably not their best work uh, as far as the the, the Supreme Court.
1: Okay, you say this is just another example of judicial activism. Why? Well, again, uh, it was purely a, a
2: political uh, decision more than a uh, precedent because uh, the Oklahoma uh, Supreme Court basically has uh, has ruled since then many times of the Constitution, uh, Article 2, and they have stated that uh, the uh, displays such as this are constitutional Oklahoma. We've had two other courts that have looked this, lower courts, and they've ruled it constitutional. The Supreme Court of the U.S. has is, is ruled on this identical to the uh, The Texas State Capitol and and a display on public property in Utah. So we were taken back a little bit and definitely disappointed by their uh, non-opinion. We thought that really it was uh, uh, kind of shooting
1: from the hip. Sure. Well, you know, it's curious because uh, in many instances like this, Mike, uh, it is things in state capitals and on public ground are regarded as historical because that's where you know that's where our laws and our heritage comes from came from in the beginning when uh, this nation was first founded uh, how do the people of Oklahoma and your constituents feel about this Uh, we've had a, a, all through the process
2: seven years since we wrote and passed the law by a supermajority in the legislature and signed by the governor. Uh, we've had very large percent polling anywhere. Eighty percent of Oklahoma citizens are in favor of this. They like to know their heritage, and that's one thing. My wife and I homeschooled three children. One went into law, one into medicine, one's an Oklahoma highway patrolman, and and all three of them knew their heritage. They understood uh, the backgrounds. They could recite the presidents' uh, names of the United states and and the governors of Oklahoma we, we homeschooled them and, and we hope that the would to continue to other youth in Oklahoma and citizens to understand the heritage and the historical significance of the Decalogues or the Ten Commandments. Uh, one thing that we've tried to emphasize is uh, don't you know, let your freedom slip by. Don't let your heritage, your, your history, if you forget your history, then you forget your, your future. Absolutely. And as an Army veteran and having two great-grandfathers in the War for in- Independence, I find it really odd at the, the eve of the birthday of our uh, founding of our country coming up This decision
1: coming out, this is kind of a slap in the face for all of those who fought for freedom. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's not over. I understand people are going to be fighting to uh, change all this. We'll keep people posted. State Representative Mike Ritsey joining us today from Tulsa. Thank you, sir.
0: Okay, so conservatives, you're no longer allowed to use the term judicial activism. Because you don't know what it means. You use that term so much, it, it, there's no meaning to it anymore. Because you throw it out whenever you don't like something. Just because you don't like something doesn't necessarily make it judicial activism. So if we actually read the First Amendment, well let's see if this is a judicial activist opinion. The First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, even though it says Congress, this does apply to the states as well because of the incorporation doctrine in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So that makes uh, most of the Bill of Rights applicable to the states. So you would be a judicial activist not to agree with this ruling. So you don't get to use that term anymore. Now, Steve Ducey made a really curious statement. He says, the Ten Commandments is where our laws come from. Really, Steve? Um, If you read his own holy book? I don't think that even he would want to go with the laws of the Bible because the Bible condones slavery, uh, subjugation of women. It says that you should be put to death if you work on the Sabbath day. So which parts of the Bible are you going to follow? Because clearly you're wearing that suit right there with mixed linens. Now, Leviticus says that you should be put to death if you wear mixed linens. Isn't that crazy? Of course it's crazy. That's why we don't follow the Bible, because when we start following the Bible and making laws and policies based off of a holy book, any holy book, well, bad things can happen from that. Case in point, Saudi Arabia, Iran. What these people have got to accept is that this is a secular country, okay? You're free to practice your religion however you want to, but you can't have the state acknowledge and uh, establish a religion. So if a state courthouse is, uh, if it has a monument of the Ten Commandments, then Obviously, that's in a direct violation of the First Amendment. Now, also, it's in violation of Oklahoma's own constitution, and rightfully so. So, if you really want to do this, then guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to put up a monument for Islam, for Buddhism, even for atheism, but I don't think that they want to do this. See, they just want their religion to be recognized by the government, but nobody else's. Look, bottom line... Your religion is not going to be in jeopardy if we remove monuments of the Ten Commandments. We're doing this because it's in violation of the Constitution. If we start eroding the Constitution by doing these types of things, and by slowly um, contradicting it, well then all of our freedoms, our civil liberties and whatnot, it's just going to go out the window. So this is why we have to remain consistent and protect the Constitution, and we have to rule this way. If you don't like this Constitution, then I'm sorry, but it's here to stay. Another Republican has recently been exposed to be a hypocrite. Are you surprised? Me neither. I'm going to go ahead and let Greg Gutfeld break this one down for me.
3: Let's talk about the heroism of Bristol Palin. Seriously, don't laugh. She got pregnant again, the second time for the unmarried gal. Now, once again, she's fodder for comedians in afternoon chuckle buckets. Look, now I get it. Of course, the media would have been more supportive if she had an abortion, but then if she had, they never would have known that she had the abortion, and then they would miss out on the laughs. So good for them that she chose a pulse over a procedure and its burdens of punishment. She now faces the humiliations that come from being a full-on hypocrite, and she is. A champion of abstinence gets impregnated by two different guys. It's a giggle. But as you laugh, you miss the bigger point. That Palin chose humiliation over convenience. She took the pain, for it was more humane. And her pregnancy points out sins on both sides. On the right, if you cite the illegitimacy of black inner cities, then do so here. Sex happens where the young and bored congregate without supervision or goals. On the left, your mockery reminds us of how you secretly value abortion and its thinning of the troubled herd. You know you love it. And so by choosing to have this baby, this flawed, hypocritical, hilarious heroine tosses to the hyenas a ripe opportunity for ridicule. They should thank her. And one day when her baby knows the sacrifices and choices that her mother made, he or she will thank her, too. Mm. Um, Brave, Kimberly, or just worthy of mockery
2: no brave doing the right thing i'm happy for her and for her baby i think she's standing up and doing the right thing she's not like these people like okay i'm just going to use abortion as birth control Mm -hmm. she's accepting the consequences she's doing the right thing i don't understand why she has to be stigmatized or ridiculed i mean she's choosing life so is everybody perfect out there that's making fun of her and throwing stones at her for what
3: Mm mm-hmm that's fair. Because I she mean... had
2: sex with somebody that she was intending to marry and they had a baby? Okay, I mean, come on.
0: Okay, so the first thing that really stands out about this argument is that it's a straw man. He built up the straw man saying that we're attacking Bristol Palin on the left because we want her to have an abortion. That's not what anyone's saying. I've heard exactly zero people make that argument. <laughs> What's the problem is that uh, abstinence-only education is not effective and she's been touting that and she's a hypocrite. Um, so if you make close to a million dollars touting abstinence, but then you're going to go and just completely throw that out the window for yourself, well, then you deserve to be attacked. I mean, if you're just going around in your town making like 10 bucks to just go speak or you're doing a free speech, that's fine. But she was paid between 15000 and 30000 per performance or per appearance. Um, so if liberals did this, oh, Fox News would immediately call them out. I mean... Conservatives lose their minds when discussing donations from the Hillary uh, Clinton Foundation and whatnot, Um, but when Republicans take money from the oil industry and then deny global warming, oh, well, no, it's just because the facts aren't on the liberal side. No, okay you need to call out hypocrisy when you see it. Otherwise, it delegitimizes your cause and your side. We don't... Nobody's saying that she should have an abortion. What we're just saying is that you shouldn't be a hypocrite. You shouldn't say one thing and then do another. That's the problem. That's what we have a problem with. Um, but if... uh someone on their side makes more money than most people make in their lifetimes just doing something that's completely disingenuous, then yeah, I I have a problem with that. There are people that are starving and can barely pay their bills, but yet this person, Bristol Palin, she can go and get 30 grand in 20 minutes touting something she doesn't even believe in. So I think that that's that's a huge problem, and we're rightfully calling her out for her hypocrisy. Now, to really show the extent of her hypocrisy, watch this cringeworthy video of Bristol Palin here.
4: Excuse me, Miss... Have you ever had a situation with the, uh, official situation? Excuse me, Sitch? <gasps> oh, snap, B. Palin. You mean to tell me that girls actually fall for that line? Come on, I mean, if those words don't work, I got the
5: situation right there. I hope you're as committed to safe sex as you are those abs.
4: I know you're all about that abstinence thing, you know, but, I mean, come on, p- p- B. Palin, are you serious? Like, you're not gonna hook up with, like, before you married? For real? For real? For real, for real?
5: For real, for real, for real.
4: All right. well you know what, I mean, just in case you do get into a situation, I want to make sure that you are situated, because if you do get into a situation with your situation, you may end up with a situation, and you may not like that situation.
3: Trust me though, I'm not getting myself into another situation. I know how hard it is to be a teen parent.
4: You know what, I totally respect that. And I totally respect abstinence. I mean, it actually has the word "abstinence." I mean, come on, <laughs> I'm the situation. I love that.
3: Very funny. But I'm worried about you and you practicing safe sex.
0: You heard it there. She's not going to get in another situation again. This is why we are upset, Greg Gutfield. Hypocrisy is not okay, especially if it's something that's just not right. Abstinence education, as I mentioned, it's not effective. So don't go touting it and then say that you're for it and then do the opposite thing. Bill O'Reilly recently lowered the bar, even by Fox News standards, in a segment where he just demonized the homeless. Watch this, but try not to throw up. Enter the busiest train depot
6: in the country, Penn Station. In the past year, it has really gone downhill.
7: Do you guys come in and out of Penn Station often? I do. I commute from New Jersey. Does it affect you psychologically when you see homeless people in and
5: out of this area? Sure.
7: Yeah, I I think as a human being you can't help but see that and feel something.
5: I see the upswing. I see a
1: lot more people basically living here. Living here? In the stairwells, in the back areas. When you're
7: here and you see homeless people in Penn Station, how do you react? It's kind of heartbreaking to see other people who don't have houses and don't have money to buy food, and it's a possibility that they could die from that. In Penn Station, you're not allowed to loiter, sleep on the floor, or panhandle. These violations should get you either kicked out, fined, or thrown in jail. Technically, you're not allowed to loiter and panhandle. Right. Are they enforcing that?
2: I don't think so. I really don't see them moving them anywhere. You, you just saw cops walk by and they didn't talk to him. They don't talk to any of the guys. You live here.
7: Do you sleep here too?
5: Yes.
2: Are you
7: allowed to sleep here? Yes. What are you doing here at Penn Station today?
5: Nothing much.
0: Picking up cans and bottles.
7: How much can you make off recycled cans and bottles?
0: Uh, you make $10, $20 a day. And I
5: survive off of uh, tips that people give me.
7: Do the authorities here allow you to sleep here?
5: They let you
8: sleep up until a certain um, time.
7: Do the authorities ever give you a hard time? No, they don't bother me. How long have you been homeless?
0: Oh, it's been like since 2005.
7: You don't have any health insurance?
0: Oh, sure. They give you that when you get on welfare.
7: How'd you wind up in this situation? Drugs. What kind of drugs? Bad. How do you make money? Prostitution. How do you make money to get by?
5: Oh, I have a pretty good stipend from the federal government.
7: Do you have any addictions?
5: Uh, drink.
7: drink? Yeah. What's your favorite drink? Uh, beer. How many times have they asked you to leave Penn Station?
2: A couple.
7: Do you think you need help with your drinking? No. Do you have rum in your pocket right there?
2: Yes, I have Bacardi in my pocket right now.
7: Are you allowed to sleep down here? No? Do you ever sleep here? for how long eight hours do you ever feel scared when you see homeless people here
0: yeah because you never know what they could do I was attacked going up the stairs one one time
7: they just walked right up to me grabbed my face and he was just like talking craziness and I was just going to work he actually grabbed me for money he asked me not so much as politely. It's very aggressive when they touch you. I felt very uncomfortable and threatened.
6: I heard someone pick up a chair and wanted to hit me over the head with it. You know, when I asked him to leave the premises.
7: How long have you been in business in Penn Station?
6: Uh, 1987, so 28 years. There's more homeless now than ever, you know. I don't know. I think it's the mayor's fault, to be honest with you. Do you see
7: a change in the level of homeless activity at Penn Station under de Blasio?
2: I see more homeless. You know, I feel bad for a lot of these people. I do try to help them out. But at the same time, I don't like when they affect our customers.
1: Sometimes they'll stand in front of the store. We won't notice
2: it right away, and they're panhandling.
6: I'd say when Giuliani was mayor, I saw more enforcement. Every morning we have to mop the floor. of human waste. So, I mean, if we really want to help the homeless, I mean, I, I have a heart like anyone. Why are we doing more? What is, now, you commute, you go through Penn Station every day. I do, right? every day. So, um, Giuliani and Bloomberg, the two previous mayors, their uh, dictum was you can't stay there uh, if you're homeless because there are homeless shelters where people can go right. in New York City, um, and, and you have to move along. Right. You just can't park yourself there. But under de Blasio, that stopped. Is that what you're seeing? I've noticed it, especially this winter, it's the worst I've ever seen. It, it was little tent cities. they are stepping over
7: people with animals, with supplies. There's new synthetic drugs now where people go out of their mind. They're very unpredictable. A lot of people are being attacked. And there's plenty of money to deal with this. They have a $78 billion budget in New York. Why can't they get these guys in really plush homeless shelters? It no, doesn't make don't... any sense. De
6: Blasio does not want to enforce what they call quality-of-life crimes, which is what these is. All right, what is good report?
0: Thank you. Now, the first thing that I want to note is the racial undertones in this story. Think about the stories that they were talking about. Oh, this, this guy, he just attacked me. He was acting crazy. And they, they did this to me. They assaulted me. And how many white homeless people did they get there? See, so you just see uh, Fox News even more so pushing that racial bias. Now, another thing was the implicit moral repugnance by the fact that these people they resort to prostitution and welfare to survive, and that they're uh, they're on drugs and they're addicted to alcohol. Um, I'm sorry, but if you were starving, wouldn't you resort to all these things too? Isn't that instinct? Isn't that human nature to want to survive? It, it doesn't make sense to me how they're outraged by that. And furthermore, the fact that, oh, is that alcohol you have there? Let me see your pocket there. Is that alcohol? Well, yeah, wouldn't you be drinking? I would try to be liquored up. I mean, I don't drink that often, but if I were homeless, the pain would be so strong that I don't think I would ever want to be sober. So, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? How do you make yourself happy? How can you create any type of happiness for yourself when you're in this horrible situation? Um... Now, also, I wanted to show you guys a photo. Look at the way that Jesse Waters was standing. He was, like, way far away with the microphone. He didn't want to get close to these non-human vermin, these these filthy animals. I mean, look at that. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but doesn't it look like he was just standing way far from them, just trying not to get near them? It's disgusting. Now, um, when it comes to homeless shelters... That's not really a viable option. Bill O'Reilly brings it up and says, yeah, there's homeless shelters. It's going to house all the homeless people. Bill, you've never been to a homeless shelter, obviously. You've never like been to a soup kitchen or anything like that. These are tremendously overcrowded. They are so overcrowded. There are so many people who don't get into these. And in a lot of places, they, um, they allow people with kids and whatnot to go in over other adults. So this is why you saw a lot of adults without children and whatnot. So you don't even understand what you're talking about. How could a homeless shelter be a viable option when they're super tiny, they're super overcrowded as it is? So he's just super ignorant when it comes to this issue. Now, I agree with the last guy that says that more needs to be done to help, but come on, Jesse Waters, don't act like you care about these people. You just sat there and dehumanized them. That you, you spent probably a whole day talking about them, and you were probably disgusting. I bet you were like, ew, I gotta change out of these clothes. You're sitting there in your multi-thousand-dollar suit, just berating these people who are just trying to survive. Okay, so these moral Puritans, Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Waters, you no longer get to talk about Christianity. You no longer get to tout your Judeo-Christian philosophy as being superior to everyone else's, because obviously you don't follow by it. You're not following your own God's teachings, okay? So that's disgusting. So you don't get to use that card anymore. You don't ever get to speak about morality now because of this segment. It's disgusting, and it just outraged me when I saw this. And the more that I think about that, and when I was preparing notes for this segment, it really made me angry. It grossed me out, because how could you do this? I mean, these are people, and you're sitting there treating them like animals, and... Just dehumanizing them the whole time. I keep saying dehumanize because that's what they're doing. I mean, they're not treating them like human beings. They're saying, look at these filthy animals. And it's something that's so gross. How can we in 2015 not even have empathy? I mean, these are human beings. If you were in this predicament, you would want people to have some em- empathy to try to feed you. But no, you're not, you're not even interested in solutions. So don't bring up, oh, homeless shelters, more needs to be done. Because you don't care. You've demonstrated you don't care by the way that you were treating them, by the way that you were talking to them. So this is just sick, and this is really one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen from Fox News. Media Matters concocted an awesome compilation that really highlights Fox News' panic over marriage equality. Watch this. We said years ago that if the country eventually permits gay marriage everywhere, then other groups will want the same
6: treatment. Done now for the most ridiculous item of the day, one of the arguments against gay marriage that we just spoke about is that... If it becomes law, all other alternative marital visions will be allowed. If you expand the definition of marriage to two men and two women, why stop there? Why can't polygamists get married? If you okay gay marriage, then you have to do plural marriage. Why can't 16-year-olds get married? But Can you marry a duck? Is- it does lead to a more libertine or permissive society there's
2: no way that the state of california can deny a marriage license to four spouses now
3: eight right. spouses there
5: is a gay and secular fascism in this country that wants to impose its will on the rest of us
3: a tyrannical supreme court that has decided to moralize
6: from the bench why can't we accommodate a man and two women or women and three men why not a man and a woman a woman a woman triads so oh. Three people getting married.
1: It's been a rough year for proponents of traditional marriage. I guess Ted's okay with the story out of New York magazine this week that an eighteen year old daughter wants to marry her biological father.
2: Do we no longer say
6: father and mother? Do we only say parent?
1: No group. Uh be they gays, be
2: they NAMLA, uh, be they people who believe in bestiality, It it doesn't matter what they are.
6: A dad, seven moms, and 35 children. I believe this case is actually about going into churches and going in and attacking churches and saying you can't teach anything else. You want to marry a turtle? You can. Mormons, if they want to be bigamous again, and Mormons oh, don't no. do that again. Pluralists, no, no, no. they all can do it. Why can't siblings get married? I can you marry your brother or your cousin? <laughs> Threesomes.
1: Religious liberty is on, has been placed on a collision course with sexual license. But it's now
2: three polygamists, multiple partners. Or I would say three human spouses and the canine they absolutely
6: love. And now comes word that a British woman has married a dolphin. Hey, Governor Deval Patrick, you gotta marry me and Lenny. They don't wanna see what's going on in that bedroom. We went down this road of marriage equality and what it is going to lead to is a fundamental dissolution of marriage in this country.
3: So it's truly gonna be, to use your
7: phrase, open season on Christians. It may sound crazy, But
0: it's really not. (laughs) Okay. Um, So my favorites, first of all, um, is from Bill O'Reilly, hands down. He says, quote, Can you marry a duck? (laughs) Um, He also adds, If you want, you can marry a turtle. Bill, do you want to marry a duck? Do you want to marry a turtle? Do you know people who want to marry ducks or turtles? I've never met a person who wants to marry a turtle, um, but when I find that person... I'll let you know, because it's going to blow my mind. Uh, He also says, can you marry your brother? Do you want to marry your brother, Bill? Why are you asking these questions? Because they're so far-fetched that you're not making a good point. So, (laughs) I can't help but laugh at it. Um, Also, why can't we accommodate a man and two women? Or a woman and three men? That's a great question. Why can't we? I don't know. I don't care. That doesn't affect me. It's not going to change my life if all these people want to get married who cares? Now there's a difference between polygamy versus polyamory. So when it comes to polygamy, women are property, whereas with polyamory, women are equal and there's like multiple people. I don't don't really get the dynamic. I don't know how that would work because I'm just too much of a jealous person. But I mean, if people want to do that, then who cares? It's not going to end the world because people want to be in relationships with four people. And that's so rare. That's what, 0.001% of the population who's in a polyamorous relationship? Why are we worrying about that? Why are we worrying about that? Come on. Um, So another one. An 18-year-old daughter wants to marry her biological father. And then there's also comparisons by Ben Carson to bestiality. They always jump to this. They always jump to uh, incest and bestiality. What these idiots don't know is that incest marriage is legal in about 25 states in the U.S. So if you really are trying to maintain traditional marriage, then why haven't you addressed this? Why haven't you uh, pressured politicians? I mean, you have the the bully pulpit, that is Fox News, you're the number one news station in the country. So why haven't you addressed this? If you really want to protect the sanctity of marriage, I know what it's about. You just hate gay people. Now, my ultimate favorite. Hands down, my ultimate favorite. Um, aside from Bill Ryan, um, three human spouses and the canine they absolutely love could get married. <laughs> Come on, you're, you know that you're being ridiculous right now. Um, another one, seven moms and 35 children. What if I want to marry 7 million people? Okay, well, I'm going to come up with a different one. How about uh, four men, 1,500 women, two dogs, a turtle, and the turtle's brother? What if they want to get married? Should we allow it because of marriage equality? (laughs) Look, it's ridiculous. These people are jokes. Um... I have nothing to say. I think this is something that you don't even really have to pick apart and disaggregate. They speak for themselves. They're crazy. So recently, some details have leaked about Bernie Sanders' history as a civil rights activist, and it's really going to blow your mind because they really prove that he was ahead of his time. He was ahead of almost every single liberal in the country. So I'm going to take you back in time. Um, Let's go back to the 1960s, when Bernie Sanders was just 20 years old. He was a civil rights activist. And in order to end segregation and campus housing in the University of Chicago, he actually led a sit-in. Now here's a picture of that right now. He's the guy with the funny glasses. Um, This is absolutely amazing. This is the 1960s. So this really shows that way back then, before a lot of us uh, were born, he was back there leading the cause for the progressive movement. Now in the 1970s, he endorsed abolishing all anti-gay restrictions in a letter that he published during his 1970 gubernatorial run. It says, quote, Let's abolish all laws dealing with abortion, drugs, sexual behavior, uh, adultery, homosexuality. Now, just that little tidbit of uh, a quote, it excludes all the great things that he said about protecting the environment and about ending the drug war. Um, and it also implies that he was in favor of marriage equality. Because if you want to abolish all the laws um, that are really disproportionately impacting homosexuality and homosexuals more specifically, well, then you got to abolish the marriage laws, too, and abolish those restrictions. So presumably, he was in favor of marriage equality way back in the 70s, which is just, it's mind-blowing. Now, going on to the 1980s, when he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. More specifically, there was a gay pride parade in 1983. Um the LGBT community was going to hold a pride march, and they wanted June 25th to be designated as Lesbian and Gay Pride Day. Now, a lot of local officials were against this because their constituents just wouldn't have anything like this. They don't want those sexual deviants to corrupt their uh, town and corrupt their children and whatnot. Um, But what did Bernie Sanders have to say when it came to signing off on this and making June 25th Lesbian and Gay Pride Day? He says, quote, In the city of Burlington and in the state of Vermont, people have the right to exercise their lifestyles. It's an American right, anyone's right to have a march. This is a civil liberties question. Now he adds, in our democratic society, it is the responsibility of government to safeguard civil liberties and civil rights, especially the freedom of speech and expression. In a free society, we must all be committed to the mutual respect of each other's lifestyle. Here's a photo of that document as well. Now he was berated by his peers for this type of rhetoric, because it was he was just decades and decades ahead of his time. Bernie's um, support for gay rights um, was so great that actually one of the demonstrators in the LGBT community, they actually wrote saying that um, they were really thankful of his support to them. Now, um, there's a photo of that right here, of the actual letter. You probably can't see it, and I'm not going to read it, but just know that it states why they need a Lesbian and Gay Pride Day, and also thanks Bernie Sanders. Now. In the following year, 1985, Bernie had this to say. He says, quote, "'It is my very strong view that a society "'which proclaims human freedom as its goal, "'as the United States does, "'must work unceasingly to end discrimination "'against all people. "'I am happy to say that this past year in Burlington, "'we have made some important progress "'by adopting an ordinance "'which prohibits discrimination in housing. "'This law will give legal protection "'not only to welfare recipients and families with children, "'the elderly and the handicapped as well, but to the gay community as well. So now, I just want you guys to really know about the social climate back in this day. These acts were political suicide. Just for even supporting the LGBTQ community, you would be presumably a homosexual. People would perceive you of that and then probably vote you right out of office. But Bernie Sanders didn't care. He's so uh, linked to his own principles that it doesn't matter what that means politically for his career. He is going to do what it takes to fight for the disadvantage, And he's proven that again and again with his voting record in the Senate. And when he becomes the President of the United States, he's going to prove that once again, that he's going to stand up for the little guy. He's not in it for himself. He is on a mission, and he wants equality. He wants freedom in the United States. So while all these other scandals are being exposed with GOP candidates, and the fact that Hillary has all these emails, and she's taken uh, donations from the Clinton Foundation, which are very questionable, well, this is what comes about, about Bernie Sanders. Not some scandal, but the fact that he's been a champion and a pioneer for civil rights since way back in the day. Bernie Sanders' campaign just got a huge boost, so Larry Cohen, president of Communications Workers of America, one of the most powerful unions in the country, has joined Bernie Sanders' campaign as an unpaid volunteer. So, I'll just kind of preface this discussion by saying that union leaders almost always back Democratic candidates. But the reason why he says that he really chose Bernie over the presumptive nominee, which is Hillary, is because he says um, it's due to Hillary's equivocation on the TPP. So it made her the wrong candidate, according to him. Cohen writes, I did everything I knew how to get Clinton to speak out on Fast Track, and she wouldn't. We begged her to speak out. There was a million ways she could have done it. Why was she silent on this? So now we actually covered this a couple weeks ago on how she did, in fact, um, equivocate. She kind of came out in favor of, um, or excuse me, she kind of came out against the TPP, but she didn't unequivocally condemn it. She more or less was wishy-washy on the matter. Um, She could have used a lot more stronger and harsher rhetoric if she was really against it. But as we know, um, as I talked about in that video, she was championing it when she was Secretary of State. So we know that she's for it. So, Cohen adds, without a candidate like Bernie, we're going to get a repeat of the same stuff. Bernie is movement building, and we need a new movement. We need to get big money out of politics. Now, finally, he states that uh, Hillary Clinton's hesitation on Fast Track won't be forgotten. <laughs> Damn. Those are some really strong words for someone who is who has a lot of political power. Now, the fact that he's actually joined um bernie sanders's campaign even if he just endorsed it that would be huge but the fact that he has joined it that says a lot that's a humongous boost i think people in the media they're not going to talk about this because they don't like the fact that it's really going to um make bernie sanders that more competitive against hillary clinton it's causing these political pundits cognitive dissonance because when bernie first entered the ring everybody was saying uh Bernie Sanders, he's never going to be the candidate. He's never going to be the candidate. It's not going to happen. And now you see the strongest union leader in the country joining with Bernie Sanders. Well, Hillary Clinton better look out because Bernie Sanders each week is getting more and more powerful. His his political power has exponentially augmented. And as soon as the debates start, when he really steps into that national spotlight and everybody sees how his views are a lot more better and progressive and more in line with the American people than Hillary Clinton's, you're gonna see that pace move a lot faster. And that's, that's excluding the fact that he's, he's catching up to her so fast. As I mentioned in another video, um, Bernie Sanders is currently within the margin of error in New Hampshire. So once he actually steps into that spotlight, man, it's over. It's gonna be over. Um, so Bernie Sanders, once again, proving everyone wrong. Bernie Sanders recently packed a stadium full of 10,000 people in Madison, Wisconsin. That's more so than any other 2016 presidential candidate thus far, including Hillary Clinton. Now that doesn't even include the hundreds of people who were lined up outside who couldn't get in. Yet, the mainstream media still has not taken Bernie Sanders serious. Case in point.
3: Uh, we know you're ready for Hillary. Do you think there's any concern there?
8: No, I I think the media is giving Bernie a pass right now. I
0: very rarely read in any coverage of Bernie that he's a socialist. I think everybody wants a fight. And I think they are not really giving the same scrutiny to Bernie Sanders that they're giving to certainly Hillary Clinton and the other candidates. So uh, she's going to win this. and. Uh, as soon as I think they begin treating him like a serious candidate instead of oh my gosh it's so great we've got to fight in the Democratic Party, I think it will become very clear. Any other candidate that had the numbers that Hillary Clinton had right now yeah. um, would be um, you know talked about as absolutely untouchable. And all of a sudden oh Bernie Bernie Bernie. Right. I think it's <laughs> um, uh, uh, I think Bernie
8: is too liberal uh, to gather enough votes in this country to become president. And I think Hillary Clinton is going to be a fantastic president.
0: So the first thing that really aggravated me was the fact that she brought up, well, I don't really see anyone saying that Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Okay, if you listen to actually what Bernie Sanders is saying, he's a social democrat. The social democratic ideology is one of the most popular in the world, in the democratic world more specifically. If you look throughout all of Europe, you're going to see that there's a lot of social democrat parties. All that really means is that they're more for the poor than the rich, and they're willing to take revenue from the rich and reallocate it to the poor in order to help them. Now we're already reallocating wealth, it's just that it's going from me and you, it's coming out of our paychecks, and it's subsidizing large corporations such as Walmart, who are so greedy that they can't even pay their workers a living wage. So I think that she's really being disingenuous here when she brings up that point, and even if Bernie Sanders was just an outright socialist, who cares? socialism isn't this big boogeyman anymore, we're not afraid of the word, you see, if you repeat something over and over and over and over, eventually people become desensitized to it, we don't care anymore. See, that's what's happened. So all these Democrats, they need to acknowledge that that's not a boogeyman word, and that you've gone too far to the right, not America. So she also says, they're not giving him the same scrutiny as Hillary. Well, that's because they wrote him off entirely, almost immediately, the minute he announced his campaign, there were political pundits that were literally laughing at his campaign, saying, oh, this Bernie Sanders, he's a long shot, look at him, he's such an extremist, he's never going to make it. But yet, Hillary Clinton was just touted as the presumptive nominee. Why? Her ideals are not in line with the core of the American people. I did a video last week um, where I went over every single policy position of Bernie Sanders and I compared it with the American people and public opinion. And all 10 of them were right in line with public opinion. So when you look at that and you look at the actual facts and the statistics, you see that Bernie Sanders is not an an extremist and that this needs to stop with mainstream media. Now, another point that she brings up is that any candidate with Hillary's numbers would be untouchable. So why are we even giving Bernie Sanders any time? Well, are you not paying attention? With the rate that Bernie Sanders is gaining points and gaining political momentum, he's on track to become the Democratic nominee. You see, Hillary's numbers, they're decreasing. Bernie Sanders are rising steadily. There's still a lot of time, okay? The presidential race just begun. So there is time for him to catch up. And at this rate, he will catch up if it continues this way. Look at New Hampshire. He's now within the margin of error of Hillary Clinton. So you can't discount Hillary Clinton and say, oh, well, with Hillary's number, she's just going to be the nominee. Accept it. No, President Barack Obama, well, candidate Obama, he was way far behind. And now look at him. Guess who's the president? Not Hillary Clinton. So it could very well be the case that Bernie Sanders does the same thing. Now, the worst part of it is that she said he's too liberal to gather enough votes at the national level to become president. This is from a Democratic senator, a Democratic senator. She's supposed to be part of the liberal party. But the fact of the matter is that the political spectrum in the U.S. has shifted so far to the right that the Republican Party, who's the typical conservative party, they're now borderline extremist. And the Democratic Party, while they're at the center at best, and they're center-right also, people look at the progressive movement and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and they say, wow, look at how far they've moved to the left. But think about that. There's only a couple senators who are really progressives. What, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Jeff Merkley, and a couple House members such as Alan Grayson? Oh, come on, man. The the Democratic Party has not moved more to the right, to the left. So the one thing that I really want to comment on is look how smug and condescending she is when she talks about Bernie Sanders. Like, he just doesn't even have a chance. There's a reason why Democratic candidates got their asses handed to them in the 2014 election. It's because they tried to play Republican light and they moved too far to the right. Well, guess what? When you move out of line with public opinion, you lose elections. You lose elections. So why would you vote for a Republican light and not just vote for an actual Republican? So she's so out of touch that it, it blows my mind. So Electus can win the national election. Now... One thing that's really ironic about this fact is that pundits in the mainstream media, they never bring up the fact that Republicans have become such an extremist party. You have presidential candidates such as Mike Huckabee, Bobby Jindal, Ted Cruz, who are literally talking about overthrowing the state and implementing Christian Sharia law. They want an actual theocracy. This is the rhetoric that they're espousing, but yet nobody even thinks about, well, maybe they're too extreme, not Bernie Sanders, the person who's in line with the American people the most. So it's really frustrating when I see this type of rhetoric espoused, especially by sitting members of Congress, because it's just not true, and she's being really disingenuous. So there is a progressive movement building up, and now this is why Bernie Sanders is going to win. Watch this video. Here's the simple truth,
8: that in America we have millions and millions of working people who are working hard, but are not making enough money to put bread on the table, or to take care of their kids, and that has got to end. Today, all over America, you got mom working, you got dad working, occasionally you have the kids working, and we still don't have enough money to pay the bills. Something is fundamentally wrong about that. The problems we face did not come down from the heavens. They are made, they are made by bad human decisions and good human decisions can change them. It is time that the United States of America join the rest of the industrialized world and guaranteed healthcare to all people as a right, not a privilege. Given the incredible wealth and income inequality in America today, we need fair elections, which means public funding of elections. My Republican friends just decided to put another 38 billion dollars into the military. Maybe we can cut military spending a little bit and put it into education. A hundred years ago women didn't have the right to vote. Change takes place because people struggle. Within the next month I will introduce legislation that will make every public college and public university tuition free. I am in this business because I have four beautiful kids and I have seven beautiful grandchildren and like you I want to make sure that the world that we leave them is a beautiful world where people can live full and dignified lives. I don't want to see a world where people are struggling and stepping all over each other. And we can do it. We can provide health care to all of our people. We can create decent paying jobs. We can reverse climate change and transform our energy system. We can raise wages. We can make sure that every person in this country gets the education they need and desire. This is not some type of utopian dream. It can happen, it really can. But it will not happen unless we stand up and fight back for not only ourselves, but for our kids and future generations. Let's do it.
0: President Obama is set to announce a new rule that would make over 5 million workers eligible for overtime pay now. Now, as the New York Times writes, there's gonna be three categories of people who are going to be impacted by this. Now, when it comes to the first category, the New York Times states the first category includes workers in the 23,660 to five, or 50,440 salary range who, under the current federal rules, are legitimately exempt from receiving overtime pay because their jobs involve some professional, managerial, or supervisory duties. The administration estimates that there are nearly 5 million workers who fit this description. Now, the second category includes workers in the targeted salary range, like clerks, who should already be eligible for overtime pay because their jobs feature no bona fide managerial or supervisory component and no independent responsibility, but whom employers have misclassified and denied overtime pay. Now, as for the third category, this includes workers in the targeted salary range who are eligible to receive overtime and currently receive it, but who are vulnerable to such reclassification. So now, this is good news, but I just want to iterate that this is only a small step in the right direction. So the real thing that um, we can really do as a nation to strengthen workers' rights is to really build up unions. So now, according to SEIU in 2010, only 13.9% of workers um, or the population is represented by unions. Now, union workers make over $10,000 more than their non-union counterparts. Public sector workers in unions make about $165 more per week than their non-union peers. And in the private sector, workers make $155 more than their non-union workers. So if unions are present, Workers are going to make higher wages on average, and this is beneficial for the economy because if you have more purchasing power, if you're a middle-class individual, then you can actually go out and stimulate the economy by purchasing cars and buying Xboxes and what have you. So yes, we need lower-wage and middle-class workers to actually go out there and buy things. That's the way the economy functions. Now, the so-called right-to-work laws, which allows people to opt out of paying their union fees, it's... It's, in effect, basically destroyed unions, and this is extremely problematic, because as I just mentioned, once unions go down, workers' wages also go down with it. It's directly correlated, and and a cause. Um, So this holds true in every single country in the world. I don't want you guys to think that um, unions are only something that's important in America. If you look at every single country, um, every single continent, Latin America, uh, Europe, then you're going to find that the stronger unions are, the stronger the middle class is. So now what we also need to do is we, one, need to raise the minimum wage. Two, we need to abandon harmful trade deals such as the TPP because Doctors with Borders actually uh, just recently came out and they said that this deal is going to increase the cost of medication not only just around the world, but here in America. So how's that going to help the middle class? Obama's been saying that it's going to help the middle class. That's not going to help the middle class. That's directly going to hurt the middle class and hurt the poor. Now, also what we need to do is tax the wealthy and reallocate the funds to social safety net programs and uh, to creating jobs. Now, a lot of people are going to immediately—that that red flag is going to go up. They're going to say, oh, look at him. He wants to reallocate wealth. Well, yes, I do. You're in favor of it as well. And, in fact, we're already reallocating wealth. But the problem is that it's going from the bottom to the top. Because if the government is taking my tax dollars and they're giving it to Walmart to pay for uh, welfare and whatnot for Walmart workers, because Walmart can't even afford—or they can afford it, but they don't want to pay their own workers' uh, living wages— Well, that's reallocation of wealth. It's coming from the bottom, going to the top. What we need is for wealth to go from the top to the bottom. It doesn't have to be extreme, but they just need to pay their fair share. I think that's totally reasonable. Now, the last thing that we need to do if we want to help workers is elect Bernie Sanders. Again, I've been one of the biggest champions on YouTube for Bernie Sanders. I I talk about him every single week, Um, and I can't tell you how beneficial he will be. I mean, look, he's not going to just have... um, a golden pen where he can do anything, right? But the fact of the matter is that um, even if um, he has uh, Congress against him, if it's all a Republican Congress in 2016, uh, if he gets elected, hypothetically, well then he's still going to be introducing a lot of uh, executive orders and whatnot that's going to directly help him. So if Bernie Sanders can galvanize the public enough, then more people will also vote for senatorial races and whatnot which would be better for the Democratic Party, which would benefit Bernie Sanders if he was the president. So now my question to my viewers is, um, are you in favor of raising the minimum wage? Uh, So if you are, then comment down below. If not, then I want you to tell me why. Provide me with a study maybe that would uh, validate your opinion. Oregon is now the fourth state wherein recreational marijuana is legal for adults 21 and older. Now, as you all know, the reason why this is legalized is due to a 2014 ballot initiative, uh, more specifically Measure 91. So this um, initiative, it was actually came it came up in Oregon twice before, once in 1986 and again in 2012, but ultimately both of those failed. So to the states who are um, or to the progressive individuals who want recreational marijuana legalized in other states, just know that there's hope for you because it failed in Oregon twice, but ultimately uh, progress won out. Now, in spite of these failures, Oregon's always had a history of being a pioneer when it comes to uh, marijuana use. So they were actually the first state to decriminalize possession of under one ounce back in 1973, which was actually huge. Um, And now medical marijuana became legalized in 1998 by a popular vote. Now, they actually issue marijuana um, medical marijuana licenses to non-residents as well. And they're the only state with medical marijuana that does this. So again, they're ahead of the curve with respect to even other states. Now, as for the current law, it's a little bit hokey right now. I mean, you can smoke it, you can give it away, um, but you can't walk into a store and buy it as of yet, because that's supposedly coming um, sometime next year. Now, the best part is just that possession of marijuana is legal because it's safer than alcohol. So there's no logical reason why we have policies that really subjugate people to prison sentences and whatnot. Now, as I, as I mentioned, um, possession of marijuana was decriminalized in Oregon. But still, I mean, if you're caught with over an ounce, you don't deserve to go to jail and um, have a felony on your record forever because of that. So now... One other difference between Oregon and the three other states wherein uh, recreational marijuana is currently legal is that Oregon allows eight ounces, whereas the other states only allow one ounce. So, again, I don't know um, (laughs) why you need more than one ounce if you're just smoking it. Um, But there should really be no limit. I mean, when you think about it, this is still preposterous, right? Because when you go to the liquor store, you're not limited to 10 gallons or two gallons. You can just virtually buy as much liquor as you want. So for a substance that's actually safer, which has been proven to be safer through science, well, it doesn't make sense that there's all these restrictions. But again, I don't want to be too pessimistic because this is nothing short of phenomenal. Now, when it comes to actual penalties, what's great is that possession of over 8 ounces was a Class C felony, but now it's only a Class A misdemeanor. Now, A is um, more serious, whereas C is just least um, less serious so now this applies to minors guilty of possession as well now when it comes to unlawful delivery this was a class b felony but as a result of this law it's now a class a misdemeanor which is fantastic delivery to a mi- minor was a class a felony but it's now a class c felony but this is totally reasonable i mean we don't necessarily want marijuana getting in the hands of minors i don't think anybody really wants that even proponents of uh, recreational marijuana so i think that it's rightful that it's still a felony now, when it comes to manufacture by a minor, um, it was a Class B felony, but now it is a Class C felony. This overall, um, it's fantastic. I think in 2016, you guys are going to see a lot of a lot of other states with these same types of ballot initiatives. So I'm definitely excited to see how this plays out. Um, so if you are one of my viewers, please comment down below and tell me which state you live in, if you do live in the U.S., um, and whether or not you uh, want marijuana to be legalized, that's part A, and B, whether or not there's any political activity right now going on in your state that's trying to get it on the ballot. A popular Christian extremist, Joshua Fierstein, has a really grim warning for Christians.
9: Guys, what's up? Josh Feirstein here. Look, I need to explain to you why what Obama and the Supreme Court just did in legalizing gay marriage in all 50 states, literally usurping the authority of each individual state, is the beginning of the Christian Holocaust. Now I know you may think that I'm crazy, but I just need to break it down for you so that you have understanding and knowledge that you can see what is coming. There's very few voices that are speaking this kind of truth today, but here it is. For those of you, first of all, that think Obama is a Christian, you're totally wrong. I don't even know where you get that idea. If you look at Obama and the values and the principles, the things that he supports, the way that he operates, how is it that a Christian could support gay marriage? How is it that a Christian could support abortion? How is it that a Christian could push Muslim agenda? You cannot. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian above everything else. In fact, you because God is the support. Authority, you're a Christian before you're even an American. Now, here is the problem today. Now that 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 gay marriage has been legalized across the board, all 50 states, no matter what the state wants to do about it, now all of a sudden it becomes hate speech. The moment that you even want to give a dissenting opinion, the moment that you want to say that you don't stand for gay marriage, look at what happens. All of a sudden, the public outcry: you are a bigot, you're a homophobe, you hate people, you're you're this, you're that, you know. And see, Obama's using the same tactics that Hitler did. Intimidation. What he does is this. He begins to paint particular groups of people like they are intolerant and they are against progress. Here we're trying to build this utopian society, but here are these stupid Christians that just want to hold on to their Bibles and their guns because they are intolerant, they are not for progress, and we need to do something about it. Think about it, America, because this is the way that it's going. They call it progression, but what it really is, it's opening people up to the idea of persecution for people that do not believe the same thing that they believe in. You guys see how the tide of public opinion has turned against the Confederate flag. Now, I don't necessarily have an opinion on the Confederate flag except for this, except that in one week, it's gone from a non-issue to a humongous issue. And it's dividing our nation. And this is how Hitler worked. And this is what Obama's doing. Look at all of the race riots that have been taking place uh, 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 recently. They've all been spurred on by people going in and stirring things up. Why? Because Hitler understood that if you riot and you get people to be afraid, first of all, if you divide America by race and you divide people into segments, you can conquer it. But check this out. The minute that there's riots, people get afraid and people will trade their freedom for safety. You want an America that has no guns, and free meals, and free health care, and free everything, and free time, where only the police have guns? Well, check this out. They have something like that. It's called prison. Think about it, America. What's coming? It's time to wake up. I'm asking that you would take a few moments and that you would share this video. Why? Because somebody today needs to wake up to the truth that, yes, the, uh, that the, the dictators that are in power today are stripping freedom from the American people. I promise you.
0: Something scary's coming. Okay, first and foremost, before I even address the lunacy that he just espoused, turn your phone horizontally if you're going to be filming. There's no reason for vertical video in 2015, okay? You may be behind with the times with marriage equality, but you don't have to be behind with the times when it comes to actually just filming like a normal human being. And furthermore, hold the phone, like, further away from your face. It doesn't have to be, like, way close so we can see you spitting on the camera. Ugh, that just... Vertical videos, it bugs me. It really gets under my skin, so I had to get that out of the way first. Now, getting to what he actually said, he says that the legalization of same-sex marriage, quote, is the beginning of the Christian Holocaust. Wow. My head nearly exploded when I heard him say that. Now, more from Joshua Fiercini says that now it becomes hate speech. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe, seeing that marriage equality is now legal. Um, no, that wasn't something that just came to fruition recently, if you were against marriage equality and gay rights and LGBT rights, well, you're already a bigot. This ruling isn't going to change that. We still look down on you, and history will look down on you as not a progressive individual, and your side will be in the history books, and you won't be portrayed in the manner that you like. Now, he also says Obama is doing the same things that Hitler does. He paints a particular groups of people like they are intolerant against progress. Well, you are. You can't be intolerant and against progress and then complain when people point it out. You have freedom of speech. You can espouse whatever weird religious views that you want to. But we also have freedom of speech. And we can point out that you're a lunatic. The government's not silencing you. This isn't a free speech issue. So yes, you are a lunatic. So it's rightful for us to point out that fact. Now he also says it's opening people up to the idea of persecution of people that don't believe the same thing that they believe in. This is projection, because he's doing this to gay people. You don't believe that gay people should be equal, and we don't believe that you're tolerant. The only difference is that what your side wants to do is remove marriage equality from LGBT people. But what we want to do is we just want equality. We're not trying to silence you. We're not trying to project you to more persecution than you're doing to yourself. We just want equality. That's it. He also says, quote, The race riots have occurred because people have gone in and stirred things up. Okay, I don't know where that came from, but what are you talking about? Who's gone in and stirred things up? Are you talking about the police who went in and have have been shooting unarmed African-Americans all over the country? Because, yes, if you're referring to them, then sure, they're stirring things up. But I think that what he's saying has some racist undertones. He's probably referring to the actual African-American people who have been protesting and rioting over this police brutality, which they should be outraged over. I'm not saying that they should be rioting, but... They should be outraged, as should he. We all should be outraged because the state shouldn't be treating people bad. Okay, so moving on, he says, quote, the dictators that are in power today are stripping freedom away from the American people. That's actually patently false. Gay people having freedom to marry actually means more freedom, not less freedom. So you're getting it backwards, and you're a lunatic. Again, I've said lunatic like three times, but it... This is just stunning. This guy has 1.5 million followers, so I just really want to get out there that his message is very vitriolic, and it's not in line with a lot of Christians. He also says, I promise you something is coming. Right. (laughs) Because they're going to be knocking on your door. Are you a Christian? Come on, you're going to jail. You've got to be absolutely insane to think like this. So let me tell you what his real agenda is. I don't think he believes what he's saying. (laughs) This is his real agenda. He's trying to sell t-shirts to his followers, and he's making a killing off of this thus far. So I don't think that his followers are really smart enough to pick up on that, because, I mean, if you could subscribe to an individual or follow an individual who espouses this type of just insane apocalyptic rhetoric, well, then you're probably not going to pick up on the fact that he's exploiting you. He's trying to sell t-shirts off of you. He's trying to make money off of you and bolster his own career. He doesn't care about Christianity. He's just using it as a platform to bolster himself. And it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. So I'll end on this note Christians, you're the majority. You don't have to worry about being persecuted or prosecuted, that is. You will probably be persecuted if you're a bigot, as you rightfully should, as the racial bigots um, were in the past, the racist bigots more specifically. Um, but you don't have to worry about people prosecuting you. We don't want to arrest you if you are against gay marriage. We just want equality. As long as you leave us alone and we leave you alone, we'll be happy. So, the difference between us and you is that you impose your views on us. We don't impose our views on you. When LGBTQ people get married, that doesn't change your life in any way, shape, or form. But when you vote to ban their marriages, that directly affects their lives. And that's not right. That's immoral, and that's fundamentally against freedom. Okay? So you can't go and um, say, oh, we're less free now because gay people can get married. Because that's just disingenuous and a lie. So now... There's a distinction between personal versus political when it comes to religion. If your religion is personal, then that's fantastic. I think that it can be really beneficial to individual people. Now if it becomes political and you start voting based on your religion, that's when it becomes harmful. Now the problem with religion is that almost always it becomes political because if religion is really that deeply held of a belief, then of course it's going to impact you in other types of, um, in other facets of life, such as politics. So this is really scary and this is why you need to be rejoicing that gay people have rights now because the fact that gay people couldn't marry that makes everyone less free the more freedom the more civil rights the more civil liberties that more people have the more free we collectively are as a nation so you need to understand that and joshua fierstein you're really sick dude so as you all know we now have nationwide marriage equality in all 50 states but rand paul thinks that It's a great idea if the government just gets out of marriage. In an article for Time, he writes, Since government has been involved in marriage, they have done what they always do, taxed it, regulated it, and now redefined it. It is hard to argue that government's involvement in marriage has made it better, a fact also not surprising to those who believe government does little right. So he, like many others, has a fundamental misunderstanding of marriage. It's not a religious institution, it's a state-based institution, otherwise you wouldn't get these types of federal and state benefits for being married. So, Marriage is maybe the exception, which even libertarians should acknowledge, that you want government involved in that, because let me just name off some of the uh, federal benefits for it. Uh, There's social security benefits, taxation benefits, uh, benefits when it comes to immigration, uh, spousal benefits for federal workers, health care coverage. So yeah, if you're logical and you want these benefits, then of course you're going to want government involved in your marriage. If it's just a religious institution, then all these benefits get stripped away, and they don't matter anymore. How can a, your church provide you with social security benefits? They can't. So these are protections that are logical that we need. So the problem with Rand Paul and other libertarians is that even though they are correct on some issues, well, they always start with the assumption that government is bad, and then they work their way backwards from that. But you can't do that. There's there's empirical reality that needs to be examined, okay? So libertarian, it's, it's great in theory to a lot of people, but when it gets to the actual empirical reality, well, it's not so good, because we have some examples of that. If you look at Somalia, uh, if you look at Libya, Yemen, well, these are all libertarian uh, paradises, right? Not very stable. So again, I don't want to throw libertarians under the bus, because I think that they are a lot more logical and reasonable than, um, than the rest of the Republican Party, but I more so just want to point out that, unlike a lot of libertarians, such as Adam Kokesh, who you can find him on YouTube, well, Rand Paul... He's not really a real libertarian. He kind of jeopardizes his principles, as you can see that with his uh, touting of religiosity lately. Um, he's he's inconsistent, and I don't think that he's really... Uh, he doesn't really care about his libertarian ideology anymore. He's trying to do whatever he can to get elected, as all politicians will. But if you really want to know about true libertarianism, you've got to subscribe to Adam Kokesh, because this dude, he's consistent. I don't agree with a lot of the things that he says, but he's 100% consistent. Now, getting back to Rand Paul, he adds... The Constitution was written by wise men who were raised up by God for that very purpose. There is a reason ours was the first where rights come from our Creator, and therefore could not be taken away by government. Government was instituted to protect them. We have gotten away from that idea. Too far away. We must turn back to protect our rights. We must understand who granted them and who can help us restore them. Okay, religion is not a part of the libertarian ideology, so this is just more evidence that Rand Paul is not principled. So let's actually examine his claim there, though. He says that our constitution and our state um, it's based on religion, as that's what the founders intended. So let's read what the founders say about religion. From George Washington, quote, If I could conceive that the general government might ever be so administered as to render the liberty of conscience insecure, I beg you will be persuaded that no one would be more zealous than myself to establish effectual barriers against the horrors of spiritual tyranny and every species of religious persecution. John Adams says, The government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Thomas Jefferson says, Question the boldness, even the existence of a God, because if there be one, he must more approve of the homage of reason than that of folded fear. James Madison says, The civil government functions with complete success by the total separation of church and state. Benjamin Franklin says, When a religion is good, I conceive it will support itself, and when it does not support itself, and God does not take care to support it so that its professors are obligated to call for help of the civil power, it's a sign, I apprehend, of it being a bad one. Now, guess what? There's more than that. Well, those were just kind of the better ones. So now, this is what's frustrating about Rand Paul. One day, I'll be super stoked about him, because he's filibustering the Patriot Act. He's talking about how our uh, war on drugs is just stupid and it's not working, but then the next day, he'll compare universal health care to slavery. And the next day, he'll say that uh, marriage equality is offensive to religions. Rand Paul, you can't do that. If you're going to claim to be a libertarian, then be consistent. Again, I mentioned that I have problems with the ideology of libertarianism. Uh, They're better than Republicans, of course. But I mean, if you're going to tote that ideology, then be consistent for it. Because this is what a lot of millennials on the right are captivated by you for. So you can't just abandon them by doing this type of rhetoric just to get the nomination. So a question to my viewers. So even though Rand can be a lunatic, is he still the least scary Republican? Because even in spite of this fact, I know that he's doing this for political purposes. It's it's a calculated move. And I know that he doesn't really agree with it. So would you rather see Rand Paul as opposed to all the other Republicans in the GOP clown car? I would still say, yeah, I think Rand Paul is probably the least scary candidate on the right. At least he's anti-war. Uh, at least he wants to end the drug war. There's some great things about him. But again, this is frustrating because... He just is completely contradicting everything that he stood for a couple years ago. Welcome to the Weekly Roundup, where I go over news stories you might have missed over the last week. This week, Senator Jim Inholt thinks that he has gay friends.
6: I know a lot of people, actually a lot of people and uh, are friends of mine in the gay community who also think it was a bad uh, bad decision.
0: Jim, you don't have any friends, let alone gay ones, because someone who's loony enough to do this? So here, Mr. President, catch this. Mm-hmm is not going to be very fun to hang out with, unless, of course, it's Senator David Vitter, who really burned all the homosexuals by making this tweet. <laughs> I could just imagine his reasoning. He's like, Ha! All the homosexuals want to get married? Well, I'll show them. I'll eat at this anti-gay restaurant and just clog my arteries. Freaking idiot! Okay, so, first of all, don't cut yourself with all that edge, Senator Vitter, because... You're not really offending us. Um, and second of all, I don't think that you should re- be toting the whole family values line. If you admitted to being part of a prostitution ring.
7: You just got owned, you knew. You just got owned,
0: owned, motherfucker.
7: You just got, you just got,
3: you just got
0: owned. <laughs> Brian Fisher, a well-known Christian extremist, he says that the marriage equality ruling from the Supreme Court is worse than 9-11. Take a look at this.
5: 626, that's today June 26, 2015. 626 is now our 911. From a moral standpoint,
0: yes, because from a moral standpoint, equal protection under the law is so much worse than thousands of people dying, right? <sighs> There's a lot more.
5: And because it was on this day that five justices of the United States Supreme Court became moral jihadists. They became rainbow Jihadist, and they blasted the twin pillars of truth and righteousness into rubble. And they did this by imposing sodomy-based marriage on the United States through an act of judicial tyranny. We are now serfs on a plantation that's being run by cultural elites who wear black robes and use their gavels like the slaveholders of old used to use their whips. Draw another parallel with Pearl Harbor today, June 26, 2015, is a date which will live in infamy.
0: Steve, ask him the question. Where, what's his moral
5: barometer? Where is it at? It's nowhere.
0: 2016 GOP presidential candidates have made their opinion quite clear on the matter of marriage equality. Ted Cruz and Scott Walker are calling for a constitutional amendment. Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, Rick Santorum, don't Google Santorum by the way. they've all reiterated support for it in the past as well. Now Mike Huckabee I mean Mike Huckabee explains he's a little bit disappointed by this. Watch this video.
3: your your thoughts, your reaction to the White House aglow in rainbow colors tonight.
6: Well, again, this is a president who has pushed this agenda, but I I remind Americans that this president believed like I did back in 2008, or at least he claimed to, when he said that marriage was between a man and a woman, and here's what he said. He said that he believed that because as a Christian, God was in the mix. Now, one of three things happened. Either he was lying then, he's lying now, or God changed the definition of marriage between 2008 and 2012, and Barack Obama
0: was the only one who got the new version. What you just heard was the sound of an old dinosaur who knows he's going extinct. So to all you Republicans, to all of my viewers as uh, conservative friends on Facebook who's been complaining about rainbows and the ongoing celebration of marriage equality, allow me to play the smallest violin in the world for you right now. that's our show. I want to thank all of my subscribers for watching. And I also want to thank all of our new subscribers because there's been quite a bit over the last week. So I'm definitely surprised pleasantly. Um, Now, if you have a particular issue that you want me to address or a particular news story that you want me to cover, please comment down below and I will be happy to discuss it. So that's our show. I'll see you guys next week.